Welcome to Sport Talks with Sport Profs. We created this community for students and for industry to join together as a community and talk sports and really it just be what's going on, what is the future looking like and have a little bit of fun. Thank you so much for joining us on Sport Talks with Sport Profs with our guest, Scott MacArthur. The one thing that I have been really enjoying watching games, past games, has been baseball. Hmm. And maybe because I don't recall, it's not, it doesn't seem like, you know, the, the Jays have had the run like uh, the Raptors have. And so the fact that uh, 1992 is on, that's awesome. And hopefully maybe 93 as well to take a look at it. So let's go right into the questions. These are uh, 10 topics, 30 seconds, and I'll cut you off if we go over 30, 40 seconds or so, okay? Uh, we've got a few students, Scott, in addition to you answering the questions that are also going to jump in and give their two cents about the topic itself. So why is it that we miss baseball so much right now? Well, we miss baseball because it's the best of all the sports. <laughs> um, <laughs> I say that in jest for those who don't agree, but I mean, I think uh, baseball and the start of the baseball season, there's a different feel to opening day in baseball, in my opinion, than there is to opening night in the NHL or the NBA. It's the sign or one of the first signs for, in the sports world. I think the Masters is another one, but it's one of the first signs of spring. Um, and it is, it is a period of time where the baseball players are still fresh. They're not into that 162 game slog. So I think, I think the reason we miss it most right now is that baseball is always an indicator that longer days, warmer weather, and the summer months are ahead of us. Any students want to comment? You agree with Scott that it's the best sport of all time? Dan, <laughs> want to come off mute? Yeah, I'm just going to be in full support of Scott on that one. I mean, you know, it's not even just the fact that the opening day represents the sport itself. It's like spring has sprung and this opportunity to look forward to warmer weather and being outdoors, which, of course, um, makes me even yearn even more for baseball season right now. But, uh, you know, baseball season for me personally is just hope springs eternal. It just uh, seems like that's one of those times a year it's a bit of a rite of passage i don't know if any of you know this but i, I have a blue jays tattoo on my arm oh. right here, just so you know so mm. i don't just talk the talk with baseball i walk the walk and that 1992 world series kind of started started it all so here's a question for the group on a baseball front i'm sure we have some blue jays fans in the group um of the five biggest home runs ever hit in blue jays history robbie alomar Ed Sprague, Joe Carter, obviously, Jose Bautista, and Edwin Encarnacion, the big five home runs. Which one does not make the Blue Jays Mount Rushmore in the pantheon of home runs? Whoa. Feel free to chime in or join in the chat. That would be my question. Encarnacion's. Why yeah. is Go ahead. Say why, Scott. I'd love to hear your point. Well, I, to me, uh, it's funny, Dan, because we, we actually talked about this on the show last week. Um, we're already ripping through topics. I, my argument is that Roberto Alomar's home run in game four of the 92 ALCS is the most important in franchise history, which may sound strange, but you need the historical context 
to understand that the Blue Jays had lost in the playoffs in 85, 89, and 91. In 89, they got smoked by the Oakland A's, who were a juggernaut. The A's actually went to back-to-back-to-back World Series in 88, 89, and 90. They won only in 89, but they were the better team on paper in all three series. So they actually spit the bit in two of those three series. They really, on paper, should have won all three. So the fact that the Blue Jays slayed that dragon and Roberto's home run in the ninth inning of game four, the Jays had a two games to one series lead. If they lose that game, and Dennis Eckersley was a, was, was a lockdown closer, not dissimilar to Mariano Rivera in later years, um, had the Jays lost that, that series is 2-2. If Oakland wins game five, all of a sudden we're coming back to Toronto for game six with the A's having the chance to clinch. So that really turned the tide. Um, then I've got Carter just because it's a world series clincher. And I think it would be ignorant to claim that, uh, Joe Carter's walk off in the world series would be any less than second. After that, it's Ed Sprague because if Ed Sprague doesn't hit that pinch hit home run in the top of the ninth inning of game two in Atlanta in the 92 world series, the Jays are coming home down two games to none. That's far different than coming home tied at one. And maybe the 92 world series doesn't play out the same. And then number four is the bat flip, which perhaps could be ranked higher if the Jays had gone further in 2015. And here's an under-discussed one very quickly because I don't want to suck up all the air. Jose Bautista's offensive performance in game six of the 2015 ALCS against Kansas City. The Jays lost and were eliminated from the playoffs that night. But had they won that game, Bautista hit two home runs in that game. Had they won that game, we would still talk about that game not maybe as much as we would as the bat flip game because that seventh inning of that game was so crazy, but we would talk far more about Bautista's individual performance in game six against Kansas City had the Jays won and gone on to win that series. And that's why we miss baseball. (laughs) Hey, and Laurel, I think what this proves is at hockey, when we have hockey fatigue at the end of the playoffs, the true sports nerds are baseball fans. They love the science and the math. And Scott just proved it right there while, why true sports fans love baseball because they can really get into the weeds and the minutia and the stats. It's a far better stat-driven sport than a lot of the winter sports. So there and you go. <laughs> I love it. Karen, that's awesome. That's the, the area that I teach in, in terms of looking at the sport fan demographic, and that would also be called a game expert. So thanks for pointing that out. Let's move on to eSports sport video games. This is a very big topic right now. Go IndyCar. <laughs> Want to go, go for it, Karen? What's happening? No, I, just, I, I think I'll kick this off and say that most of us that work professionally in sports broadcasting have been talking about the eSports landscape for probably solid five years. And many of us professionally have dabbled with it but you don't want to dive in too deep because you know a lot of these video games that the kids really love you know it's sports it's conflict and all that but what IndyCar did this past couple of weeks weekends now with the drivers um, they've really capitalized it and good for Fox Sports and good for what they've been doing we discussed it at CBC talking about certainly using soccer or Olympic sports and we're not ready to go there yet when we I can talk about what CBC Sports is doing but um, I just shout out to what they did for uh, the IndyCar stuff. I thought it was very clever. With, I liked it. Did anyone else see any of it? 
Well, the, the, the record numbers right now, we're seeing Twitch and Steam and Mixer have uh, huge numbers right now. And we actually had Wim Stocks from Collegiate Star League speak last week and talking about how, and, and we were very careful with the words, but on this show, we can talk about uh, the words used, capitalize, leverage, opportunity in a time when sports are not being played. Right now, there's been some announcements with NBA, uh, NHL going live, and you can see this. And I think actually the CBCs of the world, Karen, have a great opportunity to learn. Um, and this is maybe where we could disrupt the marketplace is to learn from the street, from the Steams and the Mixer and the Twitches of the world that are doing really well in the gaming esports space, sport video games in particular. Good night. Yeah, we have one of our guys who works with us, um, plays with athletes, Olympic athletes on Twitch, on a Twitch channel. So I think absolutely it's just, yeah, do you move it over onto traditional broadcasting? I think there's great platforms for esports. And so that's, I think, our conversation. Do you put it on broadcast? You know, no is our answer right now. TS. Nick, did you have something to say before we move on? No, I, yeah, I just, I would probably agree with Karen. I think they live well on streaming platforms, but in terms of just taking it and putting onto a broadcast uh, platform like CBC, I don't think it would bring in the, the, the nice thing about Twitch is that it's, it's ongoing streamers are streaming for hours on end and it's incredibly flexible for the viewer. They can connect and interact and hop in and hop out. So, yeah. Joe, you want to jump on? Scott, jump in. Joe, you're on mute. You know what's crazy though, guys? I've been to Korea, and, and specifically Korea. It, it's on broadcast all the time. Japan as well. It's nuts. But maybe it's because where it started. So, you know what I mean? Like, I think in North America, it certainly started on Twitch and on those platforms. I don't know, Nick, maybe you know more about it, but I think that's the generation that's into it is on, they're on the, that platform. Yeah, everyone. Can you hear me now? I can, you've got Okay, and what I was gonna say is um, that uh, depending on how long this goes, broadcasters are gonna just be looking for content. So, you know, whether they, they don't necessarily want to dive into that yet, they might be forced into it. I mean, I actually looked at, uh, I looked at the highlights um, from the weekend and uh, I mean, I gotta say, like, and I'm not an esports person really, or gaming, and I was quite impressed. I was like, wow, I, I you know, I, I, I may turn around with that now if, if they can get, get, get that kind of quality. And they had, you know, the drivers like Dale Earnhardt and Hamlin and all sorts. Like, so I was like, I was impressed and I was not expecting to necessarily. I have a kind of a point on that as well, too, if I could. Sure, Christian, go ahead. Well, just in terms of opportunity, in terms of people that obviously understand that esports and that Twitch streaming is obviously becoming a big part of, of sports consumption and that you know, more and more older sports consumers realize that this is something that's coming new and maybe they take this time as an opportunity to be like, well, you know, obviously I can't consume the things I've usually been consuming. So maybe I take the time to kind of learn why this has become so big and maybe it's an opportunity for new consumers and to come into that market and maybe see and, and kind of consume something they didn't know that they might have liked before. Okay. Scott? Is, is anyone interested in actually getting into the broadcasting side of esports? 
because if if the answer is yes, I'll read this. I actually Laurel did a bit of prep for this. So Arda O'Cal, does anybody know that name? He's a Canadian, worked for WWE for a bit. He does a lot of esports play-by-play uh, and works for the ESPN affiliate in New York City. Does some MSG stuff, and he just sent me some uh, thoughts on that. If you if you're interested, yes, I'll, I'll read it. The biggest thing is you have to find the balance between explaining what's happening on screen and making people care about the competitors playing. As a play-by-play person, it's very easy to fall into the trap of trying to describe every single thing that's happening on the screen, which will cause you to speak very fast, like I'm doing now, and people will lose their train of thought while trying to understand you. Let the images speak for themselves. Also fill in the important parts and make sure that you engage your color commentator as much as possible. Remember, they are the experts. You don't ever have to feel like you will be shunned for not knowing as much info as them. That's their job. How do you get these jobs? You go to local tournaments, you express your interest. I would even go so far as to create a Twitch channel or a YouTube channel and do commentary over highlights and games that you see online. Go to local events and offer your services. Maybe they won't pay you for the first couple of times, but be very clear and say, I will gladly do it for free this one time to prove myself, but I have the expectation to be paid in the future. If that organization can't pay you, then take the experience. It becomes your demo reel. And now you can go other places and pitch yourself. It's never been easier to develop your skills because you can do it all online. And he goes on a little bit more. Go to tournaments. Know this, know, understand the scene. I would even pick one title and get really good at that. If you like League of Legends, then do that. If you like Overwatch, do that. Become the best play-by-play person you can at a particular title. So that's from Arda. I think that's awesome advice, especially in a time right now where we can we cannot be going to games. This is this is wonderful for us to be able to get online, practice this, try this out, use our time. One of the things that Wim Stock said, and and he was he's been around since the Atari days, a senior VP in the Atari days, and and you'll see some news with him I think soon in the world gaming space. Basically, was what are you going to do with your time during COVID? And esports is a place that you can be putting it. So, let's think about uh, virtual and social media. Something that I feel like I'm obsessed with, which wasn't before until COVID nineteen. So, some good things do come out of it. But watching, let's bring Chelsea on. While watching LeBron James and his TikTok, <laughs> dancing with his family doing his uh, Nike Air Max, showing his closets, not cutting his hair because he can't get to the barber. What are you loving about LeBron James' TikTok? I mean, TikTok, I think, is just fantastic in general. Um, I have, like, a new obsession with it, not to make my own kind of content, but just kind of see the creativity that comes from it. Like, it's, to me, I see it as more of one of the most positive social platforms out of all of them so far because it's encouraging users to be the most obscure versions of themselves versus Twitter, whereas you get a lot of negativity or Instagram or anything like that. So then to see LeBron James be able to take that and um, utilize uh, not having a platform right now on, you know, on the court that he can use it from home and you get that personal kind of connection to, to your player which is what people want, at least I believe, on social media anyways. So um, another like really, really good player that I like to uh, follow is uh, 76ers uh, Matisse Thibel. He's so funny on TikTok and he's like the creativity that comes with it. Like I'm just blown away. Like I wish I could be that 
witty and that on point with stuff. Um, and it's just a perfect way to make yourself stay relevant while sports is on a pause. And you gain, I think you have an opportunity to gain such a big, uh, different um, fan base and grab the attention of the younger generation who are not necessarily watching the broadcast. Like, um, you're, you know, I have a big focus on Gen Z and how to reach them because the traditional forms of broadcast aren't necessarily how you're going to do that. So um, seeing LeBron James kind of take advantage of that, he, I think he started the, tr the ripple effect with other athletes looking to kind of get them the, the get themselves out of their shell and uh, kind of use it as a platform to keep growing their fan base. Keep growing their fan base, remaining relevant. I know Heather, I have you here as well. You've just recently started using TikTok yourself with your daughter. Do you want to comment or you're, <laughs> you're on social media, you're enjoying Serge Ibaka, LeBron James, anyone else? I think the main thing is keeping relevant and you don't have to dance. It's not, yeah, no. it's not mandatory that you dance. So we've learned that too. Okay. NFL signings. Who are NFL fans here? What's happening in the NFL world? Yes, Berlin. Come on off mute. Where's, hold on. Yeah, so apparently this, um, what is it, uh, Tim Brady? I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but apparently he signed with Tampa. Joe, did you hear about this? I don't know, anyway. Good written. Timber Tom, one of those two. So apparently uh, that's happened. Um, I think it's pretty interesting right now that they're moving forward with the NFL draft in April. And I think as we're all sort of starved for sport, there's been some controversies whether or not they should go ahead with it. Some general managers felt they shouldn't. But as an NFL fan, and certainly sort of depraved of any sort of real sports news about things happening, um, you know, I think all eyes are going to be on, um, you know, this, this draft, which I guess in, in its own respect will be done sort of virtually amongst the different teams. So it's going to be quite interesting. Yeah, it's the, the fact that the draft is going to happen on schedule really attacks the neuroses of these NHL, uh, NFL front offices that, that really has grown out of control over the last particularly couple of decades, I think. But they, they like to do the face-to-face -face stuff with the players, get a really good sense of, of who these people are. But like we're doing here right now on Zoom, um, I don't know if you can capture it entirely, but they can do their sit-downs. They can do their psychological assessments, their personality assessments of uh, prospective draft picks uh, online. Um, and, and so they're just going to, like the rest of us, have to have to work around and, and adjust to this new normal. But I think the Brady news is, is huge. Um, the one thing that I, I would say to that, if, if you're an NFL fan and you follow it, is the first thing Tom Brady has to do is get the Buccaneers out of the NFC South. That's the division they're in. So he's got to overcome Drew Brees and the Saints, uh, Matt Ryan and the Falcons and Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers. And then if he is able to do that and get his team into the playoffs, he's got the upstart 49ers. He's got Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. He's got Arizona on the come up. The LA Rams don't want to go ignored. You got Green Bay and Minnesota 
in the NFC North and you've got the, I think the Eagles, there might be a surprise team in the East, but I think it involves to say Philadelphia. This isn't New England versus Pittsburgh and one other team in the crappy AFC or Kansas City as the case may be. Tom Brady's got his work cut out for him at age 43 if he's going to take the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl. This is a flash signing, but I'm not convinced that, that it's going to end with another ring. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Melvin Gordon was probably the worst signing of the offseason. I don't know what the Broncos were thinking. Sykes, any idea there? Uh, I, can't, uh, I can't say that I love the move. Elway made a couple good moves I was a fan of. Um, you know, I was a big fan of the Jarrell Casey move that they made. But, yeah, Melvin Gordon, I don't know about that one. That's a tough one. So, but thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Hey, anytime for my fellow Broncos. Well, fellow very, Broncos. Very nice. Go by yourself on that one. At least we got rid of uh, Joe Flacco. So, you know. That's true. That's addition okay. by subtraction. <laughs> I have a question to Scott, and Dan can weigh in on this too. You know, don't you find it interesting then if you work in radio, because so much of sports is speculation and analysis that really do you feel like much has changed because even with the NFL now being able to do a virtual draft, like you can still do your radio show and talk about it. You know, we lose television. It's hard to monetize TikTok. It's hard mm -hmm. to monetize some of those other platforms, but really Scott, has anything really changed on some level? It started to now. Um, and in fact, we said it this morning uh, that today felt like the first day where the worm had had really turned it was weird too they at rogers they clearly they clearly phased i'm talking about the broader company the big massive compound we've got it at one mount pleasant 333 bluer 350 bluer there were even fewer people in the office this morning than there have been in the last few weeks so clearly whatever's been on order equipment wise to get more people out of the office and working at home those deliveries have arrived because it was a virtual and almost literal ghost town uh, this morning. We were, we were in the studio. And uh, from a, an on-air perspective, I, I think that there's a lot of it is hot takey, if you will. You got to have a, an opinion and, and, and kind of a fist pounding thought on, on the subject matters of the day. But one of the pivots we've made, and we've done it intentionally, I talked a bit about it off the top with regard to our demographic, which is males typically. Everyone's welcome, but it, I mean, typically we're focused 25 to 54 males. And if you skew it even more uh, fine, it would be 35 to 54. We've started to interview Leafs of the past, Blue Jays of the past, Raptors of the past, but Gary Lehman on. Uh, last week, uh, because we approached the 32nd or what 30th anniversary of his 50th goal in the 89-90 Maple Leaf season. Well, we didn't just talk about that goal. We talked about what it was like to be a guy who went the other way in the massive Doug Gilmore trade in January of 1992. And he told us about how he ended up in Montreal the following year and won the Stanley Cup with the Habs after being traded there by Calgary. So we're doing a lot of sort of historical revision. And I, I do think where opinion is, is, is a big part of what we do, telling people stories, or even better, having the very people who experienced it, who lived them, tell their stories, 
makes for compelling radio because as much as we like stats, as much as we like opinion, we're also, I think, deep down interested in the stories that the people who lived those stories have to tell. So we've focused in a lot on that in the last couple of weeks. And I think we're going to have to do a lot more of it because we're still in the very early stages of this, of this new normal. I think we're going to be well into June and, and maybe even beyond in this um, physical distancing that we're in. So hopefully after we get through all this, we have some good news on the women's soccer front. Uh, the women right now are fighting for equal pay. We've seen the president step down for some absolutely asinine, ridiculous, insulting remarks. And we've got Christian. Are you there? Christian, and jump in on the women's soccer front. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, my thing was muting. Yeah. No, um, in terms of the Canadian women's soccer front, um, I think I have a decent uh, opinion on that, obviously working with Team Canada. Um, one thing I've seen that we've come, kind of done uh, coming through is they've launched the uh, Canada National Soccer uh, Canada Soccer National Insights. So essentially what that's doing, um, they actually just put announced that today. Um, and essentially what, what that's kind of doing is it's really latching on to the idea of that Canada's national soccer team. We had big, we had big plans for them. Uh, obviously coming up to Tokyo um, with that being postponed, it was kind of disappointing. Um, but they've really kind of geared their new efforts towards keeping Canadians involved with our team and making sure that they have that access online now to really interacting with players like Christine Sinclair and making sure that when we go online, when we're all online now, that they really have that access to seeing, you know, kind of the developmental uh, side of the Canadian women's soccer team, as well as just their personal side, like, you know, similar to what uh, Chelsea was talking about LeBron James on TikTok, um, really creating that connection with the Canadian women's soccer team because they are our marquee team on the pitch. And, and while we're not on the pitch combating COVID-19, it's important that Canadians still keep involved with them. We had big plans for them, uh, you know, in the next few months. And now we're, we're able to continue, continue following them through, um, through this new program that they've just launched. So, I know that a lot of people at the COC are really excited for what this is going to really do. Um, and I think it's really going to help continue that, that push towards that equal pay, like you said, and towards that equal representation um, that is so important for allowing our athletes to really strive and, and get gold. And, and I think um, it, it's, it's all that more important for us to use this time to connect with those, with those athletes. And um, as you know, as a, just an intern myself, but I, I'm happy to see that because soccer's always been close to me, um, and I've always been a big fan. Like I attended the Women's World Cup in uh, when it came to Winnipeg, and like I said in your class, I think it was second year. Um, that it was one of the most problematic things I noticed there was that I was in the box watching it, but they had other sports on during the TVs, and uh, I think that we're slowly getting towards that point of of making, getting that to the, equal, uh, to the equal level of men's soccer in terms of, obviously, it's not going to be at the same level yet, but for Canadians and for Canadians uh, watching women's soccer at that level, we're getting closer. And, I, and this is just another step to show that Canadians are wanting that content and that that content is just going to be that much more consumable and that much more easily accessible through programs like this. So. It's a very friendly homely environment and uh, thank you uh, okay. someone uh, we'll just get off mute there perfect okay so 
Olympics one, and uh, we've got two Olympics topics here, and we've got the two broadcast production experts to talk about it. And uh, Joe, how many Olympics have you worked on? Uh, Thirteen. Thirteen. Karen, how many Olympics have you worked on? Um, Eleven. <laughs> I don't know how Joe has 13. How, oh, because he did London. That's right. Because I was CTV. <laughs> so it's, so actually this is, there's a few things. I'm going to, Karen, just completely open it up because when you and I had shared an email today, uh, you were chatting about the new programming. We're looking at 2021. Hopefully things are going to be able to get back to the, to normal. Hopefully athletes are going to be able to have facilities to train in. There's billions of dollars at stake here globally. Uh, this is a tough decision to make. It was the right decision to make. Uh, personally, we, we don't need to debate this tonight. I think we debated it last week. I think they were very late on their decision. That said, it's so complex because of the international scale and scope of the games. So how does this impact in terms of programming and planning for 2021 now when you were ready to go for this summer? Yeah, I just didn't know how many students joined this. And I thought it was interesting, you know, when you look at TSN and you look at Sportsnet and then CBC, like our whole work is Olympic sport. Um, and so it's been a crazy, you know, three weeks because we have to think about programming. We have a ton of sponsors that we have to honor and still do programming for. We have all this content that we've shot. Um, what do we do with it now? Because some of it is going to be no good. Um, so there's a ton of programming decisions that have to be made. And Scott mentioned like replay and historical stuff. So number one, you can bring back lots of content. Number two, the athletes are doing nothing right now. Much to their chagrin, they're trying to train in their homes, but they will have nothing but time to talk. So it's a great opportunity to give them a platform and let them have a voice and talk to them and hear from them. It's their stories. As we go forward, I think, the sports world, it will normal up again. And, you know, someone, Axel here said, what about what sports were, are really impacted? On a, a amateur and, and um, non-professional sports, certainly swimming, aquatics is a difficult one to reprogram. They'll lose a world championships now with this scheduling. Um, diving gets impacted. There's a, quite a track and field gets impacted. So, Right now, everything has to pivot and swing towards next summer. And the good news is there's athletes that were injured that now will have a shot. Um, but the sad part is athletes that maybe were gonna be good for this one and they're retiring. Um, as broadcasters, there's gonna be so much work, it's crazy. As soon as the <coughs> Summer Olympics is over, it's six months and you have to do the winter in Beijing Olympics. So for someone like me, who is exec of the Paralympics and a senior on the Olympics, I'm going to have to do two at the same time. So I'm going to have to work on Olympics and Paralympics and the winter ones at the same time now. So if all goes well in the universe, there's going to be so much sport and so much work <laughs> for so many people. And, you know, whether they do a compressed NHL season or a compressed Major League Baseball season and NFL squeezes in there and the CFL squeezes in there, if we could find ourselves in a really unique place come September of 2020, that there will be so much sports. We have to be really careful that people will be interested and want to jump on and get involved for a while, but you can't give them a fatigue or give them too much, right? So we could find ourselves in sort of a sports cycle that's really 
overflowing with sports stories and sports information. So there's a lot of talk about how to pace this out and how to deliver it um, and how to and how to just keep people engaged, you know? Joe? Yeah, something that I, am I, do you hear me? Yes. Okay, something that I've been thinking about and talking with some other people is, um, when sports start to roll back in a way, and this might be an opportune time for some of those Olympic sports that don't really get a lot of um, attention or coverage, especially the individual sports. Because I was talking with someone about this, how if you're gonna bring some sports back, isn't it easier to bring sports that is just individual, there's no contact. So whether you're doing gymnastics or I don't know, um, track and field or cycling or something like, Things that aren't involving a lot of contact might almost be the go-to sports first, and they might be the ones that benefit off of getting some attention and coverage first before they get into the real contact sports. Because I think we all got to realize there's no—it's not going to be this all of a sudden from zero to one hundred in one day. It's there's some kind of like rolling out process of how sports are going to come back. Any thoughts? Yeah, 100% that some sports will come back without an audience, without fans. They can do some qualifications and some types of sports. Did you guys see in Belarus right now, they're still playing soccer. The Belarusian president has not stopped anything. You should Google that, you know, so they're still playing in front of fans. So there will be certain sports if you want to, you know, like rock sport climbing and table tennis and badminton and, you know, you don't have to have an audience, Dennis. right? Yeah. But Scott, yeah, what do you think? Very athletes, athletes don't like that though. You know, fundamentally, so many sports athletes use the audience to help moment them, get the momentum and get going, you know. But think about it. Fundamentally, if the technical crew is there and there's a camera of any kind, then fundamentally they can shoot it, they can cover it, and that feeds all the platforms we need, right? <laughs> so it can still be a win having the sport happen without an audience in the stadium. It could be the next level to your point, Joe, about just easing back into it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to Joe's point, I, I think that when the, when the big four resume, whenever they do, they, they will win the day as they often do. I, I just think that, to varying extents and it's funny how this always comes up nfl eh? like the nfl just always seems to win out they're in the middle of their off season and there's not a regular season game scheduled for another five plus months <laughs> and we're going through this now but um i i still sense that these leagues and probably out of just blind optimism and and fingers crossed to the point of they snapping uh, the, 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 your fingers snap and just blind hope that they're going to get back to normal here soon um i think in canada we've got a it, it's not going to seem like it in the near term as the covid cases uh positive tests etc go up i think we've got a relatively good handle on and i'm saying relative but I think we've got a relatively good handle on this uh, based on people I talk to who I, I consider to be in the know. The United States is a tinderbox and every human being down there right now is either bringing accelerant 
or lit matches to the party. Um, just the ignorant behavior over spring break, those people have all dispersed and gone back home. They've probably infected their parents or grandparents who in turn have gone on and visited with other people. I think the United States is on the bat, like on the true front end of this and it's gonna be ugly. So the notion that sports is just gonna sort of come back into our lexicon and our lives in June or July, I think is extremely, extremely optimistic. And one thing I'm going to be fascinated is how much of this is talk and how much of this is real, that the NBA is actually going to put on a tournament in Las Vegas or maybe the Bahamas in late summer, early fall that will then lead right into a training camp, which leads right into the brand new regular season. Um, if you're competing for the uh, Larry OB, you're playing high intensity basketball and then you're going into a, a training camp, or then you're pivoting right into the new season, I think it opens up the door for, for injuries, for teams that have been in, in intense competition like that. I think we're going to reach a point. I hate to sound like a negative guy uh, or a pessimist, but I think we are going to reach a point here, especially with our two main uh, of the big four, our two main winter sports leagues, the NHL, the NBA, they're going to hit a point here where they have to get real and understand that the best case scenario is that their regular seasons get underway on time for 2020, 2021. And even that may be optimistic. Hmm. Well, this week could talk Sorry for a long time. I mean, I'm, I, I like this. I'm actually thinking maybe we need to move the, some of these sports outside of the North American marketplace. I mean, they are going global um is it feasible for the nba players to play in china as an example i mean china is a huge basketball market um something you know ask daryl morey <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh yeah this is we gotta pick this one up next week i, I love this topic okay so Dan Berlin, I'm going to just nominate a few people here. And I've also asked Chelsea Vernhout, Joe Recupero, uh, Richard, we haven't heard from you. So I'll give you a heads up, but we've got the five, uh, we're running out of time here. So we have five rapid fire questions. So if you could all come off your mute, please. Uh, we'll start with Chelsea and then we'll go to Joe and Dan and Richard, and then I'll jump in on one. We've got five questions that uh, rapid fire to ask of Scott. Scott, the rules of this game are twofold. You can answer with one sentence, okay? Oh. And the buzzer will go off. We'll have to figure out a buzzer for this show. Or you can answer one word, okay? Yeah. So for example, if we were to all start off to say, the greatest athlete of all time, who is your greatest athlete of all time? Muhammad Ali. Okay, so that's a one word answer. So good, we're, we're gonna start right now with Chelsea. Chelsea, Joe, Dan, Richard, and then I'll jump in, okay? Mine's a bit of a probably not one sentence question, but I'm just very curious. Using the term gender marking as an important theme, should the NHL fund a women's professional hockey league and would you, or should they call it the WNHL? Why or why not? Yes, uh, because we are seeing the model uh, work, relatively speaking, with the NBA 
WNBA and women's hockey needs its biggest ally, uh, which should be the National Hockey League. It needs that marketing machine and it needs access to those buildings which house NHL teams. Joe. Um, do you agree or disagree with Sports Illustrated picking Megan Rapino as the athlete of the year? Anybody who can't stand Donald Trump and isn't afraid to stand up and say it <laughs> is uh, an athlete of the year for me, so I'm down. Dan. Scott, best athlete you've ever interviewed, worst athlete you've ever interviewed. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this is being recorded. Mm. <laughs> best athlete I've ever, I've ever interviewed. This is, this is going to be way off the board, but it's the one that stands out for me. Uh, a couple years ago at TSN 1050, I had Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf in the studio. And anyone who remembers the mid-1990s remembers that uh, he is a convert to Islam and refused to stand for the national anthem 25 years ago. So he was way ahead of his time long before Colin Kaepernick. Uh, that discussion stands out for me. Uh, worst athlete I've ever interviewed. Um, I'm going to tell you this right now. He was, uh, and, 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 and this should also tell you where the Toronto Argonauts are in, in, in the Toronto market. I want to say his last name was either Bell or Ball. Uh, but there was a period of time when I hosted my show on TSN 1050 where we were required to interview one player per week, uh, brought him on, and did not do anything out of the box, anything that would have made him uncomfortable, and he was just not game, and I cut it off after four minutes. So whether his last name was Bell or Ball, um, I remember that as just being – I was totally miffed. I'm like, there's no team in this market that needs more attention – than the Toronto Argonauts, they give us a player because it's demanded and he behaves like that, it's a bad sales pitch. So that's the one that stands out for me and I can't even remember his name. Richard. I'm gonna steal the one that I saw in the chat because I am struggling to think of one. Uh, if these seasons stay completely suspended, what team do you think of either NHL or NBA got, gets screwed, up, screwed over the most? What team do you think miss, uh, misses is a huge shot if the season stays suspended. In the NBA, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they're one of the all-time great single-season teams, uh, not just record-wise, uh, but their advanced metrics would, would tell you that. And Giannis was arguably on his way to a second consecutive NBA MVP. In the NHL, um, I'm, I mean, there are probably a couple of teams that would come to mind, so I, I've got to pick one. Um, and I'll pick a the team and its best player. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin is robbed of 14 or 15 remaining regular season games to try to add to his goal total as he continues to try to chip away at Wayne Gretzky's all-time mark. And that Washington Capitals team is a really good team. Uh, they could have represented the Eastern Conference in the Stanley Cup final, and maybe Ovi would have gotten a second ring. Okay, so we discussed this once, Scott. Questions, the best question that you've asked of someone in an interview and a question that you wished you asked after the fact. Oh my goodness, the best. The best question, can I, 
Um, take two sentences. Yep. Well, uh, take two sentences, but also <laughs> I, I it, it's just a little, I don't want to make it sound like it's glib or anything, but it was an interviewing trick I did. I keep going back to this Mahmoud Abdul Raouf interview uh, that I'm really proud of. And it was a, it wasn't a trick that I used, but I, he, he and I had never met. And I was a teenager when he refused to stand for the anthem. And so I sat him down and we, we chatted for a couple minutes off where we get on the air. And one of the first things I did, and I authentically meant it, so that helped, but I also think it set the stage for the interview. Uh, I apologized to him for the thoughts that went through my head about him at the time as a 15 or 16 year old ignorant white kid from Southeast Oakville who didn't understand why uh, someone who looked different from me and had a completely different and unrecognizable name from anything that I had seen before would be so callous as to refuse to stand for the national anthems of the United States of America and, and Canada. Um, and when I apologized to him, I watched his body language in studio totally change. His shoulders lifted, he sat forward, and we ended up having a great interview. So that doesn't answer your question per se, but it was a, it was an authentic trick, if you will, that I used to get him to feel at ease and to understand that he had an ally in the room. And I felt like I was able to draw more out of him. Uh, mm -hmm. The question I wished I had asked who did we we had somebody on in the fall and i felt like we punted and this is a terrible laurel because i honestly can't remember who it is on the spot i'd have to go back in my memory banks if it's, if it's even there but i remember talking to my co-hosts and saying and they agreed um we should have asked about this this and this and we felt like we left or let the guest, whoever it was, completely and totally off the hook. And mm -hmm. so I think when you, when you have someone, it isn't that you're ill-prepared. It's that sometimes you want to keep things comfortable. And yes, we still go through that at our level. And we felt like we punted that interview really, really badly and didn't give the listener um, all that they would have wanted and deserved and didn't ask the questions that they would have been asking. So I can't remember the guest or what the topic was or the topics were, but I just remember there was an interview in the fall where I just thought, damn, that didn't go well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, so we are determined to be done by nine o'clock. Now we did start late, uh, 8.06 because of being hacked. So- We got a couple, we got a couple minutes. Couple of minutes, okay. Yeah, but yeah, sure. Ever, just for everyone else as well, I just want to get everybody going. Uh, this is for the students. Kaylin, would love for you to jump in. Christian, um, we've got Nick as well. Things, we do this every week. We'll be doing this. will be our, uh, our signature is things on social media that bothers us right now about sports. That bothers us about sports. So last week, just as a, one of the, for those of you who weren't on the show last week, as an example, I had shared that some of the things that bother me is when I see weightlifting people and they're using um, 
thinking that you can actually get the amount of muscle that you need to get by lifting Campbell's soup cans. It was driving me crazy. I was seeing all these different ways that you can work out at home and using, <laughs> first of all, nobody eats Campbell's soup anymore, I don't think, or maybe we all will be now, but um, that just that those, those kind of things are bothering Christian, what's that? Campbell's soup is awesome. In this chat that eat Campbell's soup. Um, <laughs> honestly, no, I have to say, Okay, so I'm currently, for people that don't know, I am currently in quarantine in Halifax. So I am in an Airbnb held up for 14 days with none of my own things. And there's nothing more that I would love to do than try some of these trick shots that people are doing. And the fact that I can't do that and I can't see new sports content is giving me FOMO. And that is one thing. But I, 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 like, I, I find that some of the content that we see is kind of just like extremely repetitive. Like, I'm a big Cristiano Ronaldo fan, but like even I get tired of Cristiano Ronaldo content on Bleacher Report and Messi content. So I find that that would be the one annoying thing. It's just the repetitiveness of some of the stuff that we see. And obviously that's due to the, the fact of it. But yeah, just I would love to try one of those trick shots with, uh, with my 56 and try and do it down the stairs. But unfortunately, I'm stuck in Fairview, Nova Scotia. So, Kayla? Sorry. Go ahead, Chelsea. <laughs> Personally, I really am tired of seeing the stay-at-home challenge challenges, like with either uh, with the toilet paper. It was cute when you first saw it, but then it's like people are getting nominated, and it's one of those things where it's those videos are fun to make and that content's fun to make, but no one wants to see it. At least in my opinion, like I look at it and I just see a constant stream of people doing all these different challenges, and it's like it, it's just so stale and. And I get it. Like I've done it, done one myself and it's really fun, but like, I don't know. I think people, it's the stuff that was really clever is starting to get stale. Like Christian said, it's fleeting. I think the word is fleeting. It lasts for a few, you know, for maybe a few views and then it, it kind of, yeah, you're right. I like that word fatigued and fleeting. Kayla? I've done a million push-ups. Don't need to do any more. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like personally, I feel like most of the leagues have been doing a good job at pushing out content, but I feel like I'm seeing a lack of a content push within the NHL standpoint. Like we're seeing replays of games from the MLB right now and the Toronto Raptors, but we aren't seeing any push of real NHL content or new NHL content being pushed. So I think being a big hockey fan, I think I'm kind of missing that around now. Just to uh, just to piggyback on the stay-at-home challenge stuff, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I need another athlete to tell me how to wash my hands. <laughs> I, I think I have that down. I could be wrong, though. I, maybe I could go wash my hands, show everybody, and you guys could give me feedback, but I, I don't think I need another athlete telling me how to wash my hands. I don't think I need anyone else telling me, like... <laughs> And then even on the news every day, they're telling us, and now they're sending it to us in, in, in the mail. We're, I think most people got them today or later this week. It's, uh, I think we got it now. There's a wash your hands playlist on Spotify now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Things that we missed the most about sports. And we started this off with what we miss about baseball. And that's very clear. Uh, you know, I still really miss going to the Ryerson Rams games and having a hot dog with Joe. I love that, that stupid hot dog. <clears throat> Once a year, I have it. Uh, maybe at a Jays game, sitting at a Jays game and having a, 
a couple of beers with friends and uh, is a few things that I miss. So what are you missing right now about sports? Uh, I just said it today to someone is um, sports. And I think that this is the first time maybe this has happened because I think now even non-sports fans actually realize how important sport is to the fabric of, of the culture and how much of community and how much of our day-to-day -day lives, no matter who you are, even if you aren't a sports fan, somehow it all touches you or people that you know. And so never in my life did it ever feel like the world is standing still. And I think that's what everyone feels collectively when you're a sports fan, is that the world is standing still and nothing is happening and nothing is happening and you can't enjoy things and you can't enjoy the sense of community because that's the other thing that sports does. It draws you into a community and you're always a part of a club or part of a sports fans for teams or you know, for leagues or whatever, but you're always parts of a community and community building is so important for people's, um, you know, just, just everyday life. And when you take that away, I think that's when we're, that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing is, is the offshoot of why people are sort of, you know, not coping well over the last few weeks. I mean, I, I admit it's not great for me, but when I hear also all my friends with their kids and their kids are going stir crazy and they can't play in their leagues and they can't play here and they can't, can't do that. And you, you start to realize how much sport is a part of our everyday life and our culture. I completely agree with that. Um, I even, this was probably about a week ago, but I had fallen asleep on the couch and didn't realize what the channel was on. And I, as I was waking up, I could hear a hockey game in the background and for that moment where I was still sort of asleep, but not, but still enough conscious enough, I was, it felt normal. Like you had that, that feeling of normalcy and like, oh yeah, like this is hockey. I get it. Felt like you woke up from a nightmare, right? Yeah, and then I, and then I really woke up and I was, it was that like depleting feeling of, oh my gosh, that's a replay. Like that's not real. That's not happening. And then Aww. like, you didn't, you don't realize how much, like you said, sports means to you and the community until it's gone. And like, that was a really, it was a weird, weird, surreal moment because you, it was just like, you're half asleep and then you just ever, you feel this normalcy and then it was just gone. <laughs> Scott, can I just have your last words here? Yeah. Like, I think if you look at the last week alone and I'll, I'll set the Raptors aside because I think we were all pretty confident when all of this ended that they were going to be the second seed in the Eastern conference they weren't going to catch Milwaukee and they also weren't going to get caught by Boston or anyone else. So I think we had a sense of where they would be. But if, if we were sitting here tonight and things were normal, the Maple Leafs would be in Washington tomorrow and then have home games against Detroit on Thursday and Montreal on Saturday. And the way that that team was a high wire act all season long, I think we'd be sitting here tonight talking about a team that was life and death to make the playoffs. Imagine the angst and imagine the uh, investment, uh, if we're Leafs fans, and I'm one, and of course I host a radio show in the city, so I better be. Um, <laughs> imagine the emotional investment we would have in the coming games that we don't have right now. And then on the Blue Jays side of things, 
you know, Bo and Vladdy starting their first full seasons in the big leagues. Hyunjin Ryu would have pitched on opening day last Thursday, and he was the big free agent signing. Signs of spring, et cetera, et cetera. We'd be gearing up for the Masters. So there's just all this stuff that we, that we don't have. Start of MLB, NHL, NBA playoffs on the doorstep, the Masters golf tournament, the things we really enjoy at this time of year, they just, they're not there. And, and it isn't just that they're not there. It's that we have no idea when we can possibly get them back. So the uncertainty is as annoying and is as crippling as the fact that we've lost them in the first place. Yes, and I think so. the reality is that we may even unfortunately see some of these arenas and stadiums be turned into something different to take care of people. So, um, yeah, it's quite the crazy time. Hence why we wanted to bring everyone together. Prof. Joe, Prof. Walls, Prof. Berlin is fantastic. And we'll have to give you an honorary Prof. Scott. <laughs> oh, please do. I'll take the uh, I'll take the honorarium too. The honorarium. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much for joining us on Sport Talks with Sport Profs with our guest Scott MacArthur, and we look forward to seeing you next Monday night at eight p.m. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, guys.